Take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter number 4. Again, we're thankful to have each guest and each visitor. We had some that came in after we had recognized, and uh, so glad that you all joined us today. Honored to have you. I'd love to meet each of you at the conclusion of our service, and we have a gift for you. I want to make sure you, that you do get that from us. Honored to have each of you today. And um, as I was preparing for these, this Sunday, this message, I, I, I had this thought as kind of my motivating factor. If if I just had one opportunity to preach to someone, what would, I, what would the topic be on? What would I want to get across if I just had one opportunity to speak to you? And as a preacher, as a pastor and a preacher of the gospel, uh, obviously I, am, um, I have put my life, I have put the direction of my life, my family's life, all in one emphasis, all surrounded by this one message, that God loves you, we're all sinners, our sin separates us from God, but Jesus, he took away that separation. And that everybody can have salvation, but only through Jesus Christ. This world is full of ideas of trying to make themselves right with God, trying to find peace with God. Uh, but, but the Bible makes it very clear it's not through a religion, it's not through an effort, it's through an individual. And it's through what Jesus Christ did for us in the shedding of his blood at Mount Calvary, uh, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, providing salvation for all that will put their faith and trust in him. So I want to bring you a very gospel-forward message today. I want to bring to you uh, just what the Bible says about uh, uh, salvation. And um, I come to a passage in John chapter number 4. This was a a Sunday that we encouraged our church to invite somebody, uh, to invite multiple people, uh, to ask someone to be their guest. And that can sometimes be an intimidating thing. Uh, that can be something, even for someone that we know personally, sometimes that can be even harder, someone we know, to invite them. And, and so I'm proud of our church for the efforts that went into this. And again, grateful for each guest that has come out this morning. And I, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that I don't think Jesus found it as a difficult thing, but his disciples did, and, and the culture did. They saw this as a difficult situation that Jesus knowingly put himself into and desired to do. And I'm going to look towards the end of this passage, and we're going to go back and look and work our way through this and then just wrap it up with some thoughts this morning. But look with me at verse 27. And I'll read down through verse 29 as our text. It says, And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou? Uh, with her the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men get these next words come see a man which told me all things that ever i did is not this the christ and i'd like to give you a, a brief message this morning on that thought of come see a man Come see a man. 
And she identifies him and says, is not this the Christ? Is this not the Messiah? Is this not the one they were looking for? And she's referring to Jesus Christ. Now, if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, in John chapter 4, I'd like to just read through this passage of Scripture today and pause here and there and, and make some comments to you to try to bring this to some understanding to us today with some of the culture and the context of this passage of Scripture. Verse 1 says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and parted again into Galilee. Now Judea would be very similar to a state here in, in America a region of that nation. And, and it was down towards the southern part of the nation of Israel. And, uh, and so that's where Jesus is at now. That's where Jerusalem is at, in Judea. And so he's in the region of Judea, but he says, now I'm going to go to Galilee. Now I picked Jerusalem and I picked Nazareth, maybe one of the more well-known cities of Galilee, another region or another state of Israel, and from Jerusalem to Nazareth is about 90 miles. And, of course, they walked everywhere they went. And so that may have been a three- or four-day journey of, of making this trip if they went straight north. And that's, that's the most obvious way to go. It's almost due north, Jerusalem, to Nazareth, 90 miles. But here's the situation. Most Jews would not go straight north. They would start north, and then they'd go hard east or hard west for a little bit, and then they'd go north, and then they'd come back, and then they'd continue their trip because there was another region between Judea and Galilee. And it's a region called Samaria. It was a, an area that was inhabited by the Samaritans. And as we're going to read in this passage of Scripture, the Jews and really even the Gentiles did not get along with the Samaritans. Unfortunately, it was, a, it was a, 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 a not a good relationship with them primarily for racial reasons. Primarily because of, uh, uh, of who the Samaritans were. See, hundreds of years before that, the Jews had been taken into bondage and many of them were transported out of, out of Israel. But there were some that remained, some that were not transported or deported out of their homeland. But other people came from other nations from all over the world and settled in that area. And so you have these few Jewish people that remained and people from all other nations. And over time, they came together. Many of them married. And their offspring, their, their children became known as Samaritans. They weren't Jews, they weren't Gentiles, they were Samaritans. And for a Jew and for Gentiles, they often looked at them, you didn't have a people, you didn't have a home, you, you, were, you were just someone completely separate and different. And there was a racial tension between them. And so for many Jews, instead of going through Samaria, unfortunately, they would choose to go around it. But notice with me in our text here, He's, in verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he, that's referring, referring in verse number 4, he must needs go through Samaria. See, Jesus wasn't going to take that excuse. 
Jesus wasn't going to say, I'm not going to go through there. I'm, I have to go through there. And it wasn't just about the Samaritans. It was about a Samaritan. It was about one person that he was going to have a divine encounter with. And that's what I want to talk to us today about. It's about Jesus and the woman that we only know by this title, the woman at the well. You ever heard that, that phrase before, the woman at the well? This is the passage right here. So let's pick up on this, this encounter between Jesus and this woman at the well. Verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour would mean 12 noon. Uh, it was noon. It was the, the hottest part of the day. So Jesus, after this uh, several-hour walk, he's weary now, he's in Samaria, and he sits down at a well. Verse 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, saith, uh, uh, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. He asked her, Could I have a drink of water? For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So here we are, just a few moments into this encounter, and already we see this, this tension, right? She brings up two thoughts here. She goes, first of all, I'm a woman. In this day and time, men didn't speak to women. It was a very much a male-dominated, a, 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 a chauvinistic type of a, a society there. And she's like, first of all, I'm a woman. Why are you talking to me? Secondly, I'm a woman of Samaria, and the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Why are you talking to me? I mean, this is where her mind goes. This is what she thinks. And I can even imagine that there probably is a little uh, tone in her voice, right? You men know what I'm talking about, right? When, the light, when your wife talks to you and there's, a, there's, there's, the, there's the words and then there's the tone behind the words. Uh, I just saw a couple of your wives looking at your husband. Yes, you know what that is. And, and, and I can imagine there was a little bit of a tone here. Why are you talking to me? I'm a woman, and I'm a woman of some, what's the deal? And notice the response. Jesus breaks down any barriers right away here in verse number 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Jesus is not argumentative. Jesus is not trying to even reason with what her questions were about. He immediately brings this to this thought of, a, hey, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd be asking me for a drink of living water. Now this definitely gets the lady's mind and her, her thoughts turning. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. The well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. 
But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So her first response is what? She's thinking physical. You're going to give me a drink and you've got nothing to draw with. You don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope. The well is deep. How are you going to give me this drink of water? And Jesus now starts turning this even more and more into not physical water, but spiritual water. He says, I'm going to give you water, or those that will take of this water shall have everlasting life, eternal life. Well, the woman, she's liking what she's hearing, but she's still thinking physical. Notice what she says in verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She says, I'm sick of coming to this well and drawing water. You can give me something that I never have to draw again, that I can be, have my thirst satisfied? And again, she's thinking physical, isn't she? She's like, give me this, I will take it. And so now Jesus wants to prove to her who he is. And he does something again. He takes her off track here. Look at verse number 16. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. This had to shock the woman. Wait a minute. We're talking about water. We're talking about buckets and ropes and and all those things. And now you want me to go get my... And so she says this. Well, the woman answered and said, "I, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidest thou truly. At this point, I see the woman's mouth wide open, like, uh, uh, how does he know this? Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband, but you've had five in the past, And you're living with a man now, but you're not married to him. And notice her response. She gets pretty serious here now, doesn't she? The woman saith unto him in verse 19, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She recognizes, he's like, wow, uh, there's something unique about this guy. There's something different about him. And so now she's going to get spiritual with him. She's going to bring up her religion. Look at verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She's in Samaria. She pointed back, no doubt, to Mount Jerusalem, a place where the Samaritans worshipped, a place where the Samaritans built their temple. She says, we say we should worship here, but you say we have to go to Jerusalem to worship She's focusing on a place, but notice Jesus. He's not going to focus on a place. He's going to focus on a person. Notice what he says in verse 21. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So again, Jesus, he's saying, listen, 
whether Jerusalem or in Jerusalem, it's about the individual. And he's beginning now to unfold to her who he really is. The woman in verse 25 saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. So she's been looking. She's been expecting. She's been anticipating the Messiah, the Christ. And boy, what an answer she got when she said this. We're looking for him. And when he gets here, he'll tell us all things that we should know. And then Jesus saith unto her, verse 26, I that speak unto thee am he. I am the Messiah, Jesus is saying. I am the Christ, the one you've been looking for, the one you've been anticipating. It is me. And that's where we picked up in our text. The disciples showed back up. They're marveling. What's he doing talking to her? She's a woman and she's a Samaritan. They're going right back to their Jewish mindset. But the woman, she takes off, leaves her water pots right there, runs back and tells the men, is that the five husbands? And the one she's living with? Or is that everybody? I don't know. But she goes back and notice what she says again. Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is this not the Christ? Now, you may have come today to be kind to a friend, to get a friend off your back, to not have to hear this ever again. But we wanted you to come today because I want you to know about a man. A man named Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah, He is the Christ. And according to John chapter 14, in fact, look at this wonderful verse with me. John chapter 14. Verse number 6, Jesus makes this great proclamation. Jesus saith unto him, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Didn't say anything about membership at a church. Didn't say anything about baptism or how much money you give, how good of a person you are. The only way that man can get to God is through Jesus Christ. Through his shed blood that he shed for us at Calvary, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. By the way, we'll be having our Easter services here just in a couple of weeks celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's his death, burial, and resurrection that provides salvation for us today. And we live in a time and a, a, a world that is, that is dominated by, by, by philosophies and by religions that try to make it man-centered. And I'm here today to tell you that it's Jesus-centered. That, it's, that, man, that this world will tell you that man has to accomplish something. I want to tell you today, Jesus already accomplished it for us. And you just have to put your faith, your belief in Jesus Christ and what he's done for all of us and call on him and he will save you. We see again there in John chapter number four, they have a, a, an unplanned evangelistic revival meeting that takes place here. Now Jesus had it planned, but nobody else did. 
In verses 31 down through 38, it's another message. Jesus deals with his disciples, his racist disciples, his disciples that are thinking like the culture. He deals with them in those verses. But verse 39 picks up the, again the account with the Samaritans. It says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were coming to them, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days, and many more believed on him because of his own word. And they said unto the woman, now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard from him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ, he is the Savior of the world. Uh, that means he is the Savior of, uh, of us here in America and every other nation and people group and all throughout the world. It's the same Jesus. Uh, it's the same gospel. Uh, that song that they sang today, that last song of whosoever will, uh, I mentioned it didn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. It does not matter what our skin color is. It does not matter what our backgrounds of nationality. It doesn't matter what we've done. Jesus Christ is the answer for every one of us. He is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. And the only thing one must do is believe and receive Jesus Christ. Put your faith in what Jesus Christ has done for each of us. See, Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect and a sinless life. Uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. Jesus, uh, he, he, he came and he lived that perfect and sinless life, but then he went to the cross of Calvary where he became sin for us. I didn't say that he sinned, I said that he became sin for us. Well, what happened there at Mount Calvary? God took all the sins of the world, everything that had ever been committed before Jesus, his ministry here on earth, everything during his time, and everything that will take place after that, God placed all of that upon Jesus, and he paid our penalty. He paid what we owed, and he suffered and he died for our sins. He paid that penalty. He was buried after his death, and he rose again victorious over death and victorious over sin. And by his death, burial, and resurrection, you and I can have salvation. Now for me, I, I was raised in a church. My dad was a pastor. Uh, I was in church. I was born on a Tuesday. The next Sunday, I was in church. I've been in church almost every service ever since. And I've only, I bet you I have not missed more than six or seven services in all my life. I've been in church. I was raised in church. But I didn't get saved because my dad was a preacher or because I've been in church all these days. I got saved because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I was six years old when I called on the Lord Jesus Christ to save me and put my faith in him. We've got others in here that got saved as an 18-year-old, as a 30-year-old, 50-year-old, and beyond. The age doesn't matter. It's just that you've come to a time in your life when you recognized your need 
and you're willing to call on the Lord Jesus in faith. See, it's more than just believing. It's receiving. It's calling. It's asking. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we'll call on him in faith. He's promised that he would save you. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So perhaps I, I would be honored and love if you would come back to more services. Uh, you'd come back for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. And then we have some special meetings after that. I'd be honored to see you here many times. But if this was my only chance, I would tell you this today. Jesus saves. And you need Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never called on the Lord to be your Savior, and you feel a, what we would call, we call the word conviction, it's a drawing of the Lord. It's God saying, I, I love you and I want you. You can feel that drawing from within. And by the way, I could never accomplish that, right? I couldn't, I couldn't get inside you and, and do that. That comes from God. As he's saying, listen, I love you. We would love to tell you more and share with you more how you could be saved today. We have at the end of every one of our Sunday services, we have what we call an invitation. It's a time of reflection on the service, the message, how God's dealt with our hearts. We try to make it as private as we can. Many people are bowing their heads and closing their eyes and are praying. And, but we also open up what we call the altar, these stairs up here. And we have some individuals that are ready and prepared to talk to anybody. And so in just a moment, we're going to get into that part of our service. And we're going to invite you today, if the Lord's working in your heart, to step out. You're like, wait a minute, buddy. It was a big deal just to get me in this building. Now you want me to come down here? I do. Because I care about you. And what I just talked about today is eternity. Think about this young man, this 18, 19-year-old young man just went out into eternity the other day. And that happens every day, every second. People are dying. And one day it's going to be our turn. Whether that's through a tragic accident or natural causes... We're all going to die one day, and we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. And it can be with Jesus. It can be in heaven with him when you put your faith and trust and call on the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes today? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Oh, we'd encourage you today to consider your eternal salvation. Do you know Christ as your Savior? If you're here today and this may sound foreign to you or new to you, but it resonates with you. It makes sense. You can feel that God's tugging at your heart today. Oh, I'd encourage you to respond to him today. Again, we'll have some individuals down here at the front ready to help and to deal and to direct and to pray with you. Or to even today, you could even take care of this at your seat. By just saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. My sin has separated me from you, and I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He shed his blood for my sins. He was buried. And he rose again. 
and I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and asked the Lord to save you, and he promised that he would. Oh, Lord, I pray now that you would take this invitation moment, Lord, and Lord, I pray that you would work in hearts and lives of individuals here today. Lord, if there's anybody here that does not know Christ as their Savior, I pray that today they would receive you, call upon you today, and be saved. Lord, I pray for the Christian, Lord, that you may be working in their heart. Lord, may they be obedient to you during these moments of invitation. And Lord, for all these things, we'll be careful to give you the glory in Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, would you stand right there where you're at? And as the piano begins to play, the Lord has spoken to your heart and you'd like to respond today. The altar is available. We have folks here that are ready to talk with you and pray with you. Would you come today? I know that's a huge ask. I know that's a, that may be difficult for you, but is your eternity worth it? Oh, would you come today? The Lord's touching your heart. Respond this morning. As these are coming, will you also make your way today?